We present a background to Paul's epistle to the Ephesians and begin examining chapter 1. We discover truths of our amazing and unlimited spiritual inheritance because we are in Christ. We are also taught how to pray for one another and given four important revelations in which we need to keep on growing. 1 and verse 6. There's only one chapter. And we're going to look at verse 6 before we stand up to make our declaration this morning. Philemon 1 and verse 6. The Apostle Paul is writing this personal note, personal letter to a, a very close friend of his, his whose name is Philemon. And uh, here's what he tells them. They have a church in their house, so obviously this letter is going to be read uh, among the, uh, the believers there. So here's what he uh, shares with them in Philemon chapter 1 and verse 6. He says that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. So he says, uh, he tells them how to have real good fellowship, that the sharing of your faith, really the fellowship of your faith, may become effectual. So here's a way to have really strong, good, effectual effective fellowship. And he says, I want you to acknowledge every good thing that is in you in Christ Jesus. To acknowledge means you recognize as a fact, you accept as a fact. So he says, I want you to acknowledge every good thing that is in you because you are in Christ Jesus. Now, we must first of all learn to do it for ourselves personally before we can do it collectively in, in, an, in a group or in a fellowship context. Learn to acknowledge the good things that are in you because you are in Christ Jesus. Now, in the natural, you know, there may be some things that are really happy about of yourself and there, are, there may be some things that you may not be very happy about. You know? uh, but... Because you are in Christ Jesus, there are lots of good things in you. And Paul is saying, acknowledge, recognize as a fact, the good things that are in you because you are in Christ Jesus. Amen? So that's what we do as we stand up to make a declaration here this morning. We are recognizing, we are going to acknowledge, or we are acknowledging as a fact, the good things that are in us because we are in Christ Jesus. Amen? So let's stand up to our feet and we're going to uh, make our declaration. We're just acknowledging the good things that are in us because we are in Christ Jesus. Let's say this out loud, bold, and strong together. This is God's word. This is God speaking to me. I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I will become everything God has promised. I'm saved. Healed, delivered, redeemed. I am blessed, victorious, prosperous, triumphant. I'm a minister of God, a servant of Christ, and a channel of His blessing to many people. I receive His word, I believe His word, and I live by His word. Christ is my master, and to Him I am in absolute surrender. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Please shake hands with the person sitting next to you. Uh, if you don't know their name, just give the exchange name, say hello, and you may be seated, please. Some of you may have uh, received an SMS from the church um, just to not only update you that we're meeting in this place, but also to uh, let you know that this morning we are starting a, a, a time of study in the book of Ephesians. Amen. <laughs> All right. So what we want to do is something very simple. Over the next few Sundays, or next six Sundays, we want to study the book of Ephesians chapter by chapter, go through verse by verse um, uh, over, next, uh, over six Sundays. It has six chapters, so we want to study a chapter every Sunday. So today we will cover chapter one in the book of Ephesians. But we're going to spend quite a bit of time here in the beginning uh, to give us a little background to this letter. Uh, that, that was written uh, to the people in Ephesians. So just a little background to this whole thing. Now, if you just to understand where Ephesians as a city is located, uh, if you look at the map, uh, I'm not sure if you could see it well, but it's on the east, on the west coast of what you would, uh, what today is modern day Turkey. So 
right there on the west coast, you find uh, this town of Ephesus, uh, a port city. It was a seaport town of Ephesus, and, uh, uh, and then you have its location there even today. Uh, the city uh, that the town of Ephesus during Paul's time uh, was a, a city that was given over to the worship of a, a Greek goddess Diana. It was a, a custodian of that. The, the temple of Diana was, was there in that city, uh, which was considered one of the seven wonders of uh, the ancient world. This temple was uh, you know, constructed out of pure marble. They took over 220 years to assemble all of that and put that temple together. And uh, so the, the Ephesians believed in this goddess Diana, and uh, they just believed that this statue they had there in the temple actually fell out of the sky. You know? and, and, and so that was the city that, that was so focused and concentrated on its worship of Diana. Now, Paul, the Apostle Paul, on his second missionary journey, as he traveled around preaching the gospel, he visited Ephesus very briefly. He came to that place in Ephesus. Um, uh, he stayed there for a, a brief time, and then he continued on. He left his teammates, Aquila and Priscilla, in Ephesus, where they met this man named Apollos. They, and they spent some time teaching him, and they sent Apollos off to Corinth. Uh, that was Paul's initial visit to Ephesus. He probably may preach this uh, 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 once or twice, maybe from the synagogue there in Ephesus. But then on his third missionary journey, the Apostle Paul, he comes to Ephesus and he actually spends close to three years in that city on his third missionary journey. That means this is a bulk of his time invested in the ministry uh, in that city, which he did not do in all the other towns that are other cities that he visited. He spent nearly three years uh, on his third missionary journey located in Ephesus, teaching and ministering there. And uh, there were some great things that Paul accomplished there. I'll just summarize that. But let's read Acts, the 19th chapter, to give us a little background of what happened when Paul spent three years in Ephesus. I hope you brought your Bibles, uh, either the print version or one on your phone or something, uh, so you can follow along. This chapter may or may not come up on, um, on the screen. So this is Acts, the 19th chapter. We're going to read that. And this is somewhere between AD 53 to 58. Those years was at, at approximate time that the Apostle Paul spent uh, in Ephesus, that three-year three period. So we're going to read through this whole chapter in Acts 19 to get a little background of what really took place during those three years. Paul, uh, here in Acts 19, the, uh, Luke summarizes or records for us this time of ministry that Paul had. So let's begin by reading from Acts 19, beginning at verse 1. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth, that means Apollos had been sent over to Corinth. Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. So here Paul arrives in this city seaport town of Ephesus. And finding some disciples, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, into what then were you baptized? So they said, into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about twelve in all. So it gives us a little introduction here on how Paul began his ministry in Ephesus. He came and met about twelve men who were disciples of John the Baptist. So you remember John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus, so he introduced the ministry of Jesus. Here were twelve men who were disciples of John the Baptist. And they had not yet, not yet heard about Jesus Christ or about the day of Pentecost or about the Holy Spirit and all that. So, you know, Paul begins with these, this group of 12 men. He says, have you, uh, have you received the Holy Spirit? They says, you know, what is this? We haven't heard about the Holy Spirit. And so then he realizes that they were only up to John the Baptist teaching in their under spiritual understanding. So he updates them, tells them about Jesus, uh, gets them saved. Then he baptizes them in water. And then right after that, he prays for them to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. They, they are all filled with the Holy Spirit. They speak with tongues and prophesy. Are you with me so far? 
Yes? So I just want to point out something here. The importance uh, in the early church of the water baptism. So we as a church, we practice water baptism once every two months. We have water baptism service. And it's important for us as believers who've made a decision to follow Jesus Christ to be baptized in water. But not only that, we also see a practice here in the early church that those who have believed in Jesus are also prayed to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that they can experience the working of the Spirit and speaking in tongues and prophecy and all the other uh, expressions of the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's important. And that's why we also, as a church, uh, we regularly, once in two months, have the baptism of the Holy Spirit service, pray for people to be baptized. We talk about the gifts. We talk about the workings of the Holy Spirit. Now, and then just a side note, you know, a couple of, I think it was last year's when somebody came to me from church after service and said, you know, is this church a spiritual church? I was like, oh, uh, what do you mean? You know, I said like, pastor, I don't hear you speak in tongues from the pulpit, you know. So, you know, sometimes we get a wrong understanding of what it means to be spirit-filled. You know, if the pastor shouts in tongues, uh, then you think it's spiritual. Then I had to tell that lady and I said, look, you know, in my personal time, I may spend hours praying in tongues. But in the church, from the pulpit, uh, you know, we keep it simple. You know, we teach the word and so on. But we are indeed very spiritual. We believe in the manifestations, the operations of the spirit. Just that I don't shout in tongues from the mic in my hands, you know. So we, our understanding of what spiritual is sometimes can be a little uh, uh, distorted. Verse 8. And he went into the synagogue, so Paul goes into the Jewish synagogue, and he spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. So here Paul begins with the Jewish community. He goes to the synagogue and he begins to reason with them, trying to explain from the Old Testament scriptures pointing to Jesus Christ, reasons with them, trying to explain about the kingdom of God and so on. He spends three months doing that. But what happens? But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude he departed from them and withdrew, uh, and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years, so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. So what happened? For three months he was in the synagogue, but then the people got upset with him. And so when he realized that you know, people were not welcoming his ministry, he took those who did believe in Jesus, those who made a commitment, and then he moved to Lincoln Hall. <laughs> now, he moved to a school building. Uh, this school was being run by a man named Tyrannus. And so he started meeting in a school building, right? See, so what we are doing is very biblical, right? <laughs> meeting in school buildings. Paul did it, right? So he moved and he spent about two and a half years there, or two years, or a little bit more, uh, teaching and ministering in that school. Now, what's amazing is that the verse 10 says that as a result of Paul's ministry in that place in Ephesus, the word went out from there into all of Asia. Meaning, he was ministering in one place, but the word was spreading out. Obviously, it's through people. The people who were being affected to the ministry there at Paul, uh, of Paul in Ephesus now were carrying the word of God into all of Asia. See, that's the kind of church we're supposed to be. Now, we're not, we're not supposed to be a church where, you know, okay, we, read, we study the Bible, we're just keeping everything for ourselves. No, 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 no. We're supposed to be a church that is giving out. Amen? What we receive, we need to give out. That's why we, we emphasize so much. You know, let's go out. Let's look at the nation. Our eyes should be on the nation, not just on our little nice church here in Bangalore. No. It should be on the city. We need to be looking out on the city, on the nation, because what God releases to us must go out there. Amen? And that's exactly what happened. And, and, and the word of God spread. In fact, uh, as we'll summarize the fruit of that ministry uh, in a moment. But let's read what else happened there in Ephesians as Paul spent nearly three years. Verse 11. Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even, the ha even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them. And the evil spirits went out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jews, Jewish exorcists, took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exorcise you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also there were sons, seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. This became known both to all the Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all. 
And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. And many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. So what else do we see happening in Ephesians? We see that God is working through that believing community in signs, wonders, and miracles. And some of the things that were happening was that, you know, Paul would pray over handkerchiefs and those kinds of things, and they would be taken out to the sick, and people were healed. Demons were cast out. The diseased were healed. Now, when other people... Uh, spiritualists who heard what was happening in the name of Jesus, they said, okay, let's try it out. They thought the name of Jesus was, you know, a push button. You know? Let's, I, let us try it out. So some of these were seven sons, son, the seven sons of a, a priest, uh, they went to a man who was demon possessed. They said, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul is preaching. <laughs> and the devil said, I know Jesus. I know Paul. Who are you? In other words, you know, our authority flows out of relationship with God. Amen. The name of Jesus is not a good luck charm. It's something you own because of your relationship with him. Right? So when these people try to do that without that relationship, it didn't work. They got run away. Uh, but the news of it spread throughout that city. It so impacted that city. And you can see here that it was quite a spiritual city, meaning they were involved in all kinds of the wrong spiritualist kind of things. They were involved in black magic and all of that. So when people heard the power of the name of Jesus, what was happening in that name, the supernatural things happening in that name, uh, and they, they received the name of Jesus. They brought all their artifacts of whatever they were worshiping and they burnt them all. And it says the word of God filled that city. Amen. So I want to ask us a question. Do you think the word of God can really prevail and fill the city of Bangalore? Yes or no? Yeah. But, but just keep in mind, Bangalore may be a hundred times bigger than Ephesus. So is that a handicap for God? No, I don't think so. It doesn't matter, uh, it, never mind that Bangalore is such a big city, but I believe that this is, this should be our prayer. This should be our expectation that God, just like the word grew mightily and prevailed all across that city of Ephesus through that community of believers, we want to see that happen right here in Bangalore city. Amen. And notice one of the key things there was the demonstration of the supernatural. And that's what we are emphasizing. We want to be balanced, of course. We want to keep our focus on the word. But remember, we, uh, we must emphasize the manifestation of the power of God, of healing, signs, wonders, miracles. And that causes the name of Jesus to be magnified all across the city. Amen. And we want to see believers, meaning people like you and me, as we go out into various parts of our city, able to uh, really exp- uh, demonstrate the name of Jesus, demonstrate the power of the name of Jesus and signs, wonders and miracles, because that is one very important way that we're going to impact the city of Bangalore. Are you with me? Amen? So that's so why we try to equip. We say, let's, let's go in there. Let's press into more of God's manifest presence. Let's press into more of God's glory manifested amongst us. Let's press into more of signs, wonders, and miracles. Uh, we want every believer to expect God to use them. Because through us, through the expression, demonstration of the power of God, our city can be reached and, uh, and touched. Then what happens? Verse 21. When these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in his spirit, when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. So he's making his you know, plans. He's, he's thinking, okay, I'm going to go do this, do this. Uh, so he sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a time. So he sends them up ahead. He continues there in Ephesus. And about that time, there arose a great commotion about the way. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Diana, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. He called them together with the workers of similar occupation and said, Men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you see in here that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. So not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worship. 
And when they heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out saying, Great is Diana of Ephesians. So the whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the, um, into the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, Paul's travel companions. And when Paul wanted to go into the people, the, the disciples would not allow him. Then some of the officials of Asia, who were his friends, meaning Paul had some people in the government who were his friends, um, sent to him pleading that he would not venture into the theater. Some therefore cried one thing, some another, but the assembly were confused, and most of them did not know why they had come together. And they drew Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews putting forward, and Alexander motioned with his hand and wanted to make his defense of the people. But when they found out that he was a Jew, all with one voice cried out for about two hours, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And when the city clerk had quieted the people, he said, Men of Ephesus, what man is there who does not know that the city of Ephesians is temple guardian of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Zeus? Therefore, since these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. For you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of your goddess. Therefore, if Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a case against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But you are, if you have any other inquiry to make, it, uh, to make, it shall be determined in the lawful assembly. For we are in danger of being called in question for today's uproar, that there be no reason which may, we may give to account for this disorderly gathering. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. Verse, chapter 20, verse 1. After the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself, embraced them, and departed to go to Macedonia. So during this, towards the end of this three-year period in Ephesus, they had this whole outbreak of riot there. Uh, you know, there was one man who was making a lot of money by selling all of these shrines of Diana. He got upset because his business was going down. He caused a uproar. And, uh, you know, at the end of it, Paul decided uh, to move on from there. But Here's what I want you to see as a result of Paul's time there. By spending those three years there uh, in Ephesus, um, here were some of the, the, the fruits of his, his ministry there. Uh, we've already read how the, the church was established, how the word of God spread through all of Asia. Uh, miracles were taking place. The whole city was impacted. But during his time there in Ephesus, Paul trained up many young leaders, the next generation of the Christian church. You've read some of their names. You'll find names like uh, uh, Sopater, Aristarchus, Secondus, Gaius, Timothy, Tychicus, Trophimus, Erastus, Philemon, Epaphras, uh, as well as Titus. These were young men whom Paul trained. So during that three-year period, Paul not only was involved in establishing the church and impacting the city and seeing the word of God spread across Asia, but he raised up the next generation of Christian leaders. Are you with me? So that even when Paul was beheaded shortly thereafter, there was already close to uh, about eight to ten strong leaders ready to continue the work. And I believe that was very, that was key for the continuing of the early church. Because when one of its, when both Paul and Peter were beheaded in Rome, there, were all, there was already a next generation ready to continue the work. So it's so important for us to understand the, the, the need to raise up generations of leadership. And that's something we're very focused on. We were actually working here at, at a church. Uh, that's one reason why we have multiple locations with multiple associate pastors. And we have a different levels of leadership. But we want to raise up leaders, generations of leadership. Amen. Are you with me? And that's exactly what Paul did while he was there at Ephesus. The other thing Paul did at Ephesus was he also raised up local leaders in that three-year period. So that when he moved on, there was local leadership to continue the work in Ephesus. Are you with me? So he, he did that in three years. And the other thing that Paul did during his time in Ephesus was he also wrote two letters. He wrote the epistle to the Galatians and he also wrote the epistle to Corinthians. While he was there in Ephesians. So he was quite busy. Preaching, teaching, raising up leaders. Both the local leadership, the next generation of leaders. Seeing the word of God spread through, throughout Asia. So if you look at the map there. And you see the seven churches 
uh, that were, that uh, we read about, you know, later on in the book of Revelation, those seven churches all, all in Asia were most likely established during Paul's three-year period there in Ephesus by people that he had trained who went out from there and raised up these other churches. Are you with me? So that's another thing we should engage in as a church, that we raise up leaders who will move into other parts of our nation and raise up churches. So one of the great things in, 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 in India is to have strong churches, not only in villages and towns, but also in major cities, tier one, tier two, tier three cities. And I'm just believing God. I know exactly how this is going to happen, but I'm believing God that, that somehow people, as you're part of this congregation, you're receiving the word of God, that a time will come when maybe you'll have to leave Bangalore and move to some other city because of work. But then when you go there, you go there as a person who's going to plant a work, establish a work in that city. Amen? Because you've got enough put in you that you can now be used by God to raise up a church or establish a work in some other city in our nation or some other uh, city in this world, wherever God may take you. So that's something that took place so that the work that was happening in Ephesians began to be replicated in, the, uh, in other parts of Asia as you will look, uh, as you see on the map, the other seven churches. I want us to turn to the 20th chapter of Acts and verses 17. We're going to read verses 17 to 38. This is a very powerful summary that Paul gives of his three-year period in Ephesians. As Paul leaves Ephesians, he goes through Macedonia. He's passing on uh, through other place, places. He comes to... Um, uh, 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 let me just uh, to another place. Let me see what's it uh, called Miletus, which is about twenty-eight miles that south of Ephesus. And from Miletus, he calls for the leaders from Ephesus, whom he has raised up. He brings them to Miletus, and this is what he tells them. It's very powerful. That's why I want us to read it. Acts the twentieth chapter. We're going to read from verse seventeen. Are you all with me so far? So we're still in the introduction to the book of Ephesians, okay? We haven't started, but I just think this background is so powerful. Uh, We need to know the background before we start reading the book. So Acts 20, verse 17. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesians and called for the elders of the church. So remember, these are elders Paul has raised up in Ephesians. He says, guys, just come. I need to talk to you, the leadership at Ephesians. And this is what he tells them. And when they had come, he said to them, you know, from the first day that I came into Asia, in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. How I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see, now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed, now I know that... now I. And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years, I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. And give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities. For those and for those who were with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this. That you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus. That he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. 
And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. Can you imagine this? A last final word to leaders that he himself has raised. He's summarizing his three years that he has spent in Ephesus. And what can you draw out of that, those words? He's saying, you know, guys, look at my life. He points repeatedly to the life he has lived among them. Amen. And I think that's a powerful challenge for many of us who are in leadership. As we live among, live among a Christian community, you know, it's so important for people to see our lives, not just hear our preaching. Are you with me? Paul did say, you know, I labored, I taught you day and night, I warned you and I've counseled and done all that. But first thing he says is, you know how I have lived among you. And then he also says, you know, I coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. You can infer from what he says that he actually worked and labored among them. Not to take care of his own needs and the needs of his, his teammates. He had a big team with him, as we mentioned, all these people that he was training. So he lived in a way that there would be uh, no expression of covetousness or trying to take things from the lives of people. Are you with me? And that's a great standard for Christian leadership, for those who are serving God's people, that we live in this kind of a way. And, and, and I think it's so uh, contrary to so much that we see in the Christian world happening, where there are leaders who, uh, who you know, who just are living for self uh, who just want to just accumulate things for themselves, establish their own, you know, personal kingdoms and so on. And it's so contrary to the way Paul lived in Ephesus and ministered to them. Are you with me? So you see my example. See how I've lived among you. I did not covet any of your silver gold. I, I labored with my own hands. I took care of me and my team. And I taught you it's more blessed to give than to receive. This is the life I've lived. And then he also warns them. He says, you know, uh, the Holy Spirit has put you in charge of God's flock. So be careful to take care of them. Protect them. Feed them. And for you, I'm commending you to the word of God. Because that's what is going to build you up and give you an inheritance. Amen. It's a very powerful final word that God delivers to leaders that he himself has trained and then he moves on. He goes to Rome and just to give you a little bit of uh, further background. So after Paul, you know, speaks all of this to them, he, he moves on to Rome and Paul is imprisoned in Rome uh, for about two to three years. Paul is imprisoned there. And while he is imprisoned, the next two to three years, that is in AD 60 to AD 63, after he's finished his work, now he's in prison in Rome. From the prison, he writes letters to various churches. From his prison, he writes to the church in Colossae. He writes Philemon, which we just read earlier. And he writes Ephesians and he writes Philippians. So these letters, these four letters, the one to Colossae, Philemon, Ephesians and Philippians, was actually written from the prison. So they're called prison epistles. So... Paul writes there to the Ephesians, and, and we're going to look at that. So uh, subsequently, Paul is released temporarily from the Roman prison, and he comes back. He, uh, you know, there are people who are with him during that time of imprisonment. Uh, Timothy, uh, Luke, and Aristarchus, these three people are there with Paul in prison. Another man called Epaphras, he comes and he serves Paul for a brief time. Paul takes Timothy once he's released temporarily from prison in Rome, and he brings Timothy to Ephesians, and he appoints him as the man in charge of the church in Ephesus. Are you with me so far? Right? So who is in charge of the church in Ephesus now? Timothy. Somebody whom Paul has trained. There has already been an eldership or leadership there that Paul left behind. But now he brings Timothy and appoints him as a leader. Then he, on his journey back to Rome, <clears throat> he, has, he goes back for his second term of imprisonment. On his way, he stops in uh, uh, Macedonia. And from there, he writes First Timothy. And then he goes back to Rome. He's in prison once again. And from his prison in Rome, he writes Second Timothy, which is the last epistle he wrote. So both First and Second Timothy are also letters written to the Ephesian church, but primarily to the pastor of that church, how to take care of that group of people. Are you with me so far? So there's a lot of history there, a lot of connection there in the New Testament as far as the Ephesian church is concerned. And all of this took place around AD 60 to AD 68 when Paul wrote his last second Timothy, the second letter to Timothy who was taking care of the church in Ephesus. Paul is beheaded uh, sometime there in AD 68. And the final thing we see about the Ephesian church is in AD 90 
which is Revelation chapter 2, when the Lord Jesus is speaking to Apostle John about the church in Ephesus. So we can study that as well to learn something about that church in Ephesus. Are you with me? Yes or no? Okay, I'm excited about this. I don't know about you. To just to see, connect all these dots together. To see that here's the background when we, uh, about this group of people. So now let's go to Ephesians chapter 1, finally. So having understood the background of how this church was established and, and, um, and when this letter was written. So remember, Paul is writing to this church where he has spent three years. Uh, he has a lot of connection with them. He's writing to this community of believers and he's writing from prison. Okay? Now, Today we're going to read Ephesians chapter 1 and just try to learn some things from that. But before we start reading chapter 1 of Ephesians, imagine this. Imagine if some really, 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 really rich man deposited 10 million into your account. Would you be happy? <laughs> I'm just saying imagine, right? <laughs> imagine. Would you be happy? Okay. Now imagine again. Would you be happy if this 10 million is in your bank account but it's not in your hands. Would you be happy? I mean, like, you can log in. You can see the number, the seven zeros, you know. But there's a one in front of it, so that's good. Uh, you can look at your bank statement that says it's in your account. Would you be, still be happy? Even though it's not, you know, in your, in your wardrobe, but it's in your bank account. Would you still be happy? Okay, good. But now, if this person who put the money into your bank account, he said this. He said, you know, just two things. One, if you want to take out that money, please follow this process. And two, you can use half of it now, which is still a good amount. <laughs> and you can use the other half, you know, maybe sometime in the future. Would you still be happy? I think so. So, let's read Ephesians chapter 1. <laughs> Keep that in mind. Let's read verse 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. So, believers, to Paul is saying, I am an apostle. That's who he is. By the will of God. I want to just mention here, the apostle is, is an office that has been established in the church. And as you will see later on in chapter 4 of Ephesians, uh, the apostles are still in function today. They are different from the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The apostle Paul was not one of the 12 but he was a founding apostle of the church because God used him to write many of the, uh, much of the New Testament established the foundation. What we do have today are still apostles, apostles who are given as ministry functions to the church. They are different from the 12 apostles of the Lamb. They are different from the founding apostles, uh, which Paul was one of. But we still have the ministry function of apostles today. Are you with me? Right? Uh, we will explain what this is when we come to chapter 4. Now Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. So he was an apostle not because somebody appointed him or not because he got a certificate. He's an apostle because God had that plan for his life. And he says, I'm writing to the saints who are at Ephesians. Believers are saints. Amen? So say, I'm a saint. It's okay to say it. I'm a saint. <laughs> The word saint simply means a sanctified person, a holy person, a person set apart for God. So as a believer, you are a saint. You're somebody who's been set apart for God. So remember, if Paul is writing to believers in a church, in a congregation, and he calls them saints. If he would call you and me today, he would call us saints. People who've been set apart for God, holy for God. To the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful so he, 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 he calls out this wonderful characteristic of these people. These people are faithful. Because you know the background. They've suffered persecution. The Jews were against them. Uh, the, uh, some of the business, place, uh, business people were also against them. But they remained faithful to Jesus Christ. Question, are you faithful? Amen? We are faithful. We are called to be that. And say, you know, you determine, I am going to be faithful. And notice he says, in Christ Jesus. Believers are in Christ Jesus. This, this thing about being in Christ is, is something very powerful that Paul unfolds in his ep episodes. He identifies that every believer is really spiritually connected to Jesus Christ. You are in Christ. So can we just say this together? I am in Christ. My life is in Him. I am in Him. 
He is in me. We're connected. You are in Christ. Amen? So as believers, our life is connected to Jesus. It's not something we're trying to live out on our own, but we're living out of him, out of our connection with him. And so Paul uh, uh, brings that out to you. I'm writing to you saints, you wonderful people, you're faithful people, and I see you as people who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's bringing grace and peace from God. So we can greet each other. We can bless each other. I release God's grace and God's peace upon you. When you pray for one another, you say, I release God's grace and God's peace upon your life. It comes from God, but we have the ability to impart that to one another, to encourage and to release that into each other's lives. God's grace, God's peace into your life. And notice verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So he says, let's praise God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's praise him. Why? He has blessed us. He says, guys, I want you to know something. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. So as believers, he's saying, guys, I want you to know something. God has blessed you with every spiritual. That means every blessing that comes from God, he has blessed you. So can you say this with me? I am blessed with every spiritual blessing. With every blessing that comes from God. Amen? Thanks be to God. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. So say this with me. Every spiritual blessing is mine. God's given it to me. Now, are you trying to get it from God? He's only given it to you. Amen. So here's the understanding that you and I must walk in. That as believers, God has already put into my name or credited into my account. Every blessing he's got is already put it into your account. And it's more than 10 million. It's more than that. He's put it into your account. Blessed be God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. So say this with me. I am blessed with heaven's best. Say it again. I am blessed with heaven's best. So now you've got to have an attitude. An attitude of blessedness. Say this with me. I've got an attitude. I'm blessed. And I can't help it. You know, wherever you go, don't walk like, man, oh, oh poor me. Please give me some sympathy. No, walk with an attitude of blessedness. I'm blessed because the Bible says, I've got my bank statement there. It says there, he has blessed me with every spiritual blessing. The only thing is, it's in the heavenly realms, meaning it's in the spiritual realm. And it is in Christ Jesus. But you are in Christ Jesus. You are in Christ. And so because you're connected to him, because of that relationship you have with him, because you're in him, you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Amen? Now, did God put that there so that you just say, you know, okay, when I get to heaven, I'll find out? Or do you think God wants us to walk in it here and now? I believe God wants us to walk in it here and now. But he says, I'm giving it to you in Christ Jesus, in the life that you have in Jesus This is what I'm crediting to your account. Every blessing that I can give you, it's yours. So you know, you don't have to feel jealous about the believer next to you. Absolutely. Because you've been blessed as much as he or she is blessed. Amen? There's no need for any jealousy. We've all been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ. And then let's go to verse 4. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4. I think we're going to continue on through eternity here. I hope you've planned to stay here for eternity. I'm just joking. Verse 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in powerful. So he's saying, guys, I want you to know something. That God chose each one of you to be in Jesus before the foundation of the wow this is amazing there are many places in the bible you find this term before the foundation in fact the bible says 
God finished his works before he began it. This is in Hebrews 4, I think it's verse 3. That God finished everything before he actually began, before the foundation of the world. That means in his mind, in his omniscience, which we can't even comprehend, God just knew everything. In his mind, it was all done before he said, let there be. It was already done in his mind. In that magnificent omniscience of God, he knew each one of us. And as Paul is saying, I want you to know something. That you have been chosen to be in Jesus even before God created anything. Can you imagine that? God knew you by name. He knew you even before he began his creative work. Even before the foundation of the world, he knew. He chose us in Christ. He chose us to be in Jesus even before the foundation of the world. And this is what he decided. He said, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. What does it mean? It means that right now, when you're standing before God, you are holy and without. Are you standing before God? How does God see you? Say this with me. God sees me as holy and without blame, covered by his love. How does God see you? He sees you holy. He doesn't see like, man, stinky fellow. Dirty God. No. He sees you holy. And without, that means God is not looking at you with a big hammer just ready to drop. That's not the picture that you should have of God. The way God sees you right now is he sees you as holy. And without any blame. Because you are covered by his love. Amen. Now, this doesn't give us a license to go and sin. Hallelujah, God sees me holy without blame so I can do whatever I want. That's not the point. The point is because of what Christ has done for you, what God has done for you in Jesus, this is your standing before God. You're holy, you're without blame. Now, if I sin, of course I need to do what 1 John 1, 9 says. I confess my sins and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses me. But my standing before God in Christ is this, I'm holy and without blame. So when I approach God, when you and I approach God, It is wrong for us to come to God and say, God, I am so dirty. It's wrong. Why? Because he has taken all this effort to make you holy and without blame covered in his love. And I feel it's an insult to all the work he did. When you come and say, oh God, I am so dirty. What have I done? I shed my blood for you. The blood of my son Jesus for you. Why don't you acknowledge the good things that are in you? In Why don't you acknowledge that you are holy and without blame in his eyes because of his love? Are you with me so far? So we need a change in our perception of ourselves. We need to look at ourselves the way the father looks at us. How does he look at us? He sees you holy without blame. Covered by his. So from today, when you go to pray, father, you begin like this. Father, thank you. Right now, I am holy And without blame in your eyes. This is not arrogance. Is it not spiritual pride? It is just accepting as truth what God has said in his word about you and me. Amen? Would you do that? I said you're scared to do that. How can I say that? It's in the Bible. God chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and without blame before him in his love. Now, If you do something wrong, you sin, you tell God, God, I'm sorry, that's not right. What I did, I repent of it, I ask you to cleanse me. So that moment you're cleansed, but you're in a right standing with God through his son, Jesus Christ. Uh, We'll just look at one more verse and we'll stop. So we'll probably meet again this evening. Sorry. (laughs) I'm just joking. Verse 5. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. According to the good pleasure of his will. So what else did he do? He predestined us to be adopted into his own family as sons and daughters. He predestined. Now predestination is not predetermination. John Calvin was a great reformer of the early Christian church. Right after, around the time of Martin Luther. Just right after Martin Luther. God used him powerful in the city of Geneva in Switzerland. And uh, I mean, his life is, is, is amazing. Uh, that one man changed an entire city. Uh, that whole city of Geneva was, was brought under Christian discipline. 
because of uh, John Calvin and Henry's, he was so strong in it. Uh, but unfortunately, one of the, 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 the theologies that he propounded was that of predestination. And that left a lot of confusion in the church. There are still people who, uh, who espouse that idea. But he said, you know, God just named you before. God just determined you were saved, so forget it. You know, there's nothing you can do to change that. And that left a lot of misunderstanding. But the correct understanding of predestination is it's God foreknew the choice you were going to make. And for those whom he foreknew, he determined that they would be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. That's Romans 8, 29 and verse 30. So predestination is not predetermination. The choice is still in yours and mine. It's still yours and mine. But God foreknew the choice you and I were going to make. And he said, for all those who make the choice to believe in Jesus Christ, I am going to adopt them into my family. Having predestined into the adoption of sons or daughters to be adopted in his own family. So God determined beforehand that you and I would not only be in him holy and without blame before him in love, but he also determined before time that you and I would be his sons and adopted as sons and daughters so say this with me i'm adopted as a son or a daughter i'm adopted in the family of god i belong to the family of god amen and it says according verse 5 according to the good pleasure of his will that means this was what he was happy to do so god's not like man how did you end up in my family (laughs) here (laughs) who brought you here that's not the way god looks at you he says i am so pleased that you are in my family according to the good pleasure of his he's so happy you're my family and he enjoys it god enjoys you being his son or daughter god's happy about it it's the good pleasure of his amen i've got to stop here it's 12 30 <laughs> we could just go on worse by worse We'll figure out how to do this. So we'll continue this next Sunday. But you know, just in these three verses, or these five verses, it makes us so happy to be Christians, to be believers. Amen? Are you happy? You're a saint in Christ. Amen? You're blessed with all spiritual blessing. We'll talk about that 10 million here. You've been blessed with every spiritual. It's yours. God just says there's one process. It's the process of faith for you to draw out of that what I've deposited in you to walk in it. And you can draw, withdraw as much as you want according to your faith. You believe me. You can walk in it. But I've credited it to your account. It's yours. You're blessed with every spiritual blessing. Every blessing that God could give is already yours. And you're holy and without blame before God. Covered by his love. Amen. Now here's something I do which is a secret. Sometimes in the morning, early hours of the morning, I can't sing, so I put on my headphones, put my phone in. I know that happy song, I could sing, I could dance a thousand miles because of your great love. You know, I just dance in my living room. Now, none of you can see that. <laughs> right? But in my living room, I'm dancing. He said, what steps you do? That's forget it. You know? <laughs> I am dancing. I put on that happy song because it talks about his great love. And that's the Bible. What the Bible says, you are holy and without blame, covered by his. And God said, I'm so happy to adopt you into my family. You're my son. You're my daughter. Amen. And there is so much more in that one chapter, enough to make us dance a thousand miles. Let's stand up to our feet. We'll sing our happy song now. All right. Come, guys, the worship team, let's sing. Now, I just want to leave you with this one thought. If you were in prison and you were to write a letter... What kind of a letter would you write? Guys, it's very tough here. (laughs) There are rats all around me. Oh, I mean, you would have put everybody else in prison with you, right? But that's not what Paul did. Can you imagine? He is sitting in prison and this is what he's writing. He's saying, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing, guys. We are adopted in the family of God. We are holy without blame. And you read on in that chapter... The whole epistle is so positive. It's so strong. It's so encouraging to the believers. What would your prison epistle be? Amen. I think we need to learn to be like the apostle Paul. Live out of our life that is in Christ. Not just because of your, you know, whatever circumstance you're going through. But you live out of your life in Jesus. In him, I am blessed. 
In him, I am adopted into God's family. In him, I am a saint. In him, I I have been chosen to be holy and without blame. That's enough for me to rejoice. Forget about the prison. Amen? So, let's just be happy for a few moments. All right, you're you're free. You're you're permitted to dance, okay? So you want to move up the chairs, do what you want. Don't look at me. I'm not going to dance. That's private. (laughs) But you're free. Let's just just be happy, all right? Look happy, okay? I could sing an ending song of how you saved my soul. Thank you. Oh, I could dance a thousand miles because of your great love. I could sing. Well, I could sing an ending song of how you saved my soul. Oh, I could dance a thousand miles of your grace My heart is bursting, Lord To tell of all you've done And how you changed my life And wiped away the past I want to shout it out From every rooftop sing For no one God is for me He is not against me I could sing Come on, move it, people I could give my soul Oh, I could dance a thousand miles because of your great love. My heart, my heart is bursting, Lord, to tell of all you've done and how you changed my life. All right, let's get ready to shout. I want to shout from every rooftop sing. For I know why God is for me. He is not against me. I could sing. An ending song of how you saved my soul And I could dance a thousand miles Because of your great love Everybody dancing now Cause we're so happy And everybody singing now Cause we're so happy Only we could see his face, see him smiling over us, and unseen angels celebrate. Why? Cause joy is in this place. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, well, I could sing an ending song of how you saved my soul. Well, I could dance. A thousand miles because of your great love. My heart, my heart is bursting, Lord, to tell of all you've done and how you changed my life and wiped away the past. I want to shout it out. Oh, we're gonna try that one more time, alright? Your part comes, you need to shout. Okay? I know everybody can shout. Don't Alright, guys, young, all right? young people, you just come up forward and dance. Sick. Go ahead. Hey, 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 hey. Well, I could sing an ending song of how you saved my soul. Well, I could dance a thousand miles because of your great love. My heart, my heart is bursting off to, to tell of all you've done. And how you changed my life and wiped away the past. Now I wanna shout from every rooftop sing. For I know I got is for me, he is not against me. I could say an ending song. How you save my soul. Well I could dance a thousand miles because of your great Everybody dancing now Cause we're so happy 
and everybody singing now Cause we're so happy If only we could see his face See him smiling over us And unseen angels celebrate For joy is in this place Amen. Thank you, Richard. Thank you, guys. Amen. There's so much reason for us to be happy, rejoicing in the Lord for what He has done for us in Christ Jesus. Amen. So take some time every day that you wake up. It doesn't matter what your situation is. Remember what God's done for us in Jesus. That's enough to make us happy. Amen. Don't worry about the circumstance, the situation. Say, God, blessed be God and the Father of my Lord Jesus Christ. He has blessed me with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He has chosen me in Him before the foundation of the world that I should be holy and without blame before Him in love. That He has predestined me to be adopted as His own Son according to the good pleasure of His own will. Amen? That's who you are. That's who we are in Jesus Christ. Enough for us to rejoice, be happy, to walk in that truth. Amen? Let's close here this morning and uh, we'll pick this up next Sunday. Just continue on. Father, we just thank you for what you've done for us in Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray that even God, the work you've done, that you did in Ephesians, the things that we read about, Lord, do it in our midst, God. Make us a church like that, that will impact our city, impact our nation, raise up a people, God, who are strong in you, who know our identity in Jesus, who know who we are in Christ and what you've done for us, and that we will live out of that and walk in the reality of it. So, Father, I also pray that this thing, Lord, that you said you've blessed us with every spiritual blessing, I pray, God, that that will just be manifest, become a reality. For each of us, we will walk in the fullness of our inheritance, of our blessing in Christ Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, our Father, and the sweet fellowship of His Holy Spirit be with each of us always. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here this morning. We'll see you again next Sunday. Have a great week. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.